During slavery, a black kid was more likely to be born under a roof with his biological mother and biological father than today. That's the problem. I've told you that the minimum wage has racist origins. The Democrats' refusal to even consider the privatization of Social Security. Regarding the minimum wage, the correct minimum wage ought to be zero. Because of the stranglehold the environmentalists have had for the last 20 or 30 years, anti-growth, anti-oil and gas. Believe that fires, for instance, in California have gotten worse because of climate change. Uh, I'm not sure it's because of climate change. Fires have gotten worse because of the failure of this governor. No state worker is going to be required to take a test once a week and re be required to wear masks at work. It is outrageous that the Democrats believe that Donald Trump is a racist. <laughs> well, he sounds nice. Sure. Why not make him governor of California? I see no downsides. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oi. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I am a little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Uh, we're praying for you, New Orleans. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Uh, okay, I know that my guest coming up momentarily has plenty to say about the ongoing Right now, pay attention, people. California gubernatorial recall with serious national implications. And since it's been so long since we have spoken with Heather Digby Parton, I'm going to blame Desi Doyen for that <laughs> for no apparent reason. It's just, Desi, how could you let that happen? Uh, anyway, I've got much more that I want to talk with uh, Heather about beyond the California recall as well. So I'm going to make this block really, really quick for now, Des. Okay. Because I know that we'll also be discussing most of these stories in great detail in the days ahead, no doubt, and the weeks ahead. So let's start here. Good news in Florida. A court has struck down authoritarian big government Republican Governor Ron DeSantis's ban on mask mandates. 
standing with school districts who are choosing to try and keep uh, try and help keep their students and teachers alive. Instead, thank you very much to that court. Bad news in Texas. That, thanks to three Democrats in the state House of Representatives who appallingly returned to the state legislature after about a month away when they were preventing a sweeping new Republican voter suppression bill designed to target Democratic voters, uh, preventing that from passage by preventing a quorum in the state House of Representatives in Texas. Well, uh, because those three Democrats have returned, they have now allowed the voter suppression bill to pass. Which is uh, shameful. It's shameful. I, yep. It certainly is. Underscoring, by the way, even more the need for federal voting rights legislation, ASAP, and the need to reform the filibuster in order to do it. Very bad potential news for New Orleans with a potential now Cat 4 hurricane, Hurricane Ida, headed their way over the weekend, leading the mayor on Friday to call for immediate evacuations. This storm sort of spun up very quickly out of nowhere. Which is happening a lot these days because of global warming. And now imperiling a city that was, well, devastated 16 years ago by Hurricane Katrina. And on the other side of the planet today, speaking of climate change and global warming, also very troubling news out of Russia, where Russian authorities have declared an interregional state of emergency as massive wildfires threaten the country's top secret nuclear weapons research center. According to Interfax, well, that seems bad. Yeah, that seems like that might be a problem. The uh, the fires have reached the uh, closed city of Sarov, which has been a center for nuclear research since the Soviet era and was the site of the first Soviet atomic bombs development. Today, the research center there makes nuclear warheads and is believed to be developing Russia's strategic missiles. Russia has been hit very hard by an uh, unprecedented wildfire season fueled by historic heat waves and drought conditions exacerbated by climate change, as the independent Moscow Times notes this week, particularly in Siberia, where the fires are now said to be so large right now that they are bigger than all of the many wildfires across the globe combined. Can that be possible? Oh, yes. Is that really? Siberia is vast, and it has been burning for a long time. Of course, those fires, uh, those other fires, the ones that aren't in Siberia, to my knowledge, uh, well, they aren't near nuclear warhead facilities, as far as I know. So, yeah, this is troubling. We'll keep our eyes on that. And back here at home, uh, this from the L.A. Times this week. You know, you'll recall on our previous broadcast, I had... I referenced just one of the many reasons that I'm not a fan of vote-by-mail unless it is absolutely necessary, for example, when one actually can't get to the polls or if, once at the polls, one is forced to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, as is the case here in Los Angeles County in the ongoing gubernatorial recall election. Also in San Diego County, also San Francisco, also Riverside County, where voters have to use touchscreen voting systems at the polling places. In those cases, in those cases, I'm okay with vote by mail. 
as long as you deliver your vote by mail ballot in person to a, uh, a voting center or to a drop box, etc. Well, here's another reason I'm no fan of all vote by mail elections from the L.A. Times this week. Officers responding to a call on August 16 about a man who was passed out in a vehicle found more than 300 ballots for the upcoming gubernatorial recall election, along with a loaded gun, drugs, and other illicit materials, according to Torrance Police on Monday. Officers were called to a 7-Eleven parking lot for a report of a man passed out in a vehicle, according to a uh, spokesman for the Torrance Police Department. When officers searched the vehicle, they found a 9mm handgun and stolen mail, including 300 ballots. In addition, the man had methamphetamine, Xanax pills, a scale, multiple California driver's licenses, and credit cards in other people's names, according to police. Now, Torrance is about an hour or so south of Los Angeles, but it is of the city of Los Angeles, but it is still in L.A. County here in Southern California. Torrance police are working with other law enforcement agencies, including the U.S. Postal Service and the Public Integrity Division of the L.A. County District Attorney's Office to determine how the man got the ballots and what he planned to do with them. Now, officials don't seem to believe that it was the ballots that were specifically targeted in this crime as much as the mail itself. Just uh, apparently theft to steal, you know, credit cards and such. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't seem to know for certain. The ballots seem to have been blank ballots on their way to voters, that as opposed to stolen on the way back to county headquarters after being filled out by voters. So but not again, voted. not voted yet, uh, at least as far as we can tell. But again, it is another reason why folks here in L.A., where you'll have to use a touch screen to vote at a voting center if you choose to do that, I recommend you fill out your vote by mail ballots, uh, hand marked ballots, and try to deliver it in person to a voting center or a drop box to maximize the chances of it being counted. Police are working with officials in this case to ensure that all voters affected by the thefts get new ballots, according to the Torrance PD. And then there was this final line to this short L.A. Times article on this, which kind of seems like a buried lead to me. I don't know. The last line says the incident isn't tied to additional ballot thefts, police said. What? I know. Additional ballot thefts? Please tell us more. What additional ballot thefts are they talking about? So far, I have not been able to find out about too many. I've heard some anecdotal reports, but that was a strange line. I don't know. I will do my best to keep an eye on it, and you can feel free to help me out if you wish. You can send me tips. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. But given the importance of this recall election and, frankly, the lack of coverage of it, In truth, even here, here in California, despite its importance to both the state and the nation, as we will discuss momentarily, uh, let me get to a break here. And then to my guest, fellow Californian, fellow Los Angelian, in fact. Los Angelino. Is that what it is? Yeah. Says you. Heather Digby-Parton will be here to discuss that and a whole bunch of other stuff that we haven't been able to chat about of late because we have not had her here on the show for months because Desi has dropped the ball. (laughs) 
Anyway, hopefully we will clear all of this up after a quick break as the Bradcast continues with Heather Digby-Parton on the other side. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. I see what you did there. Heather Digby Parton, Dolly Parton, smartly done. Desi Doyen, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, here she comes again. It has been an obscenely long time since we spoke with our friend, at least it seems like it, with our friend, the great Heather Digby Parton on this program. So with so much going on from the Long overdue attempted withdrawal from Afghanistan to the ridiculous ongoing California gubernatorial recall election here in the state where both she, Heather, and I live, uh, which has national consequences, by the way, uh, to the still growing attempts to bring, hopefully, to bring accountability to our former disgraced president of the United States for his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election, among many other things. It seems like a good chance to try, at least, and get caught up on a few of those uh, items today with Heather. Heather Digby Parton, of course, is, of course, the much beloved longtime blogger, at least beloved by us, known as simply Digby to many. She has run the uh, the long-running popular Hullabaloo blog and is a regular contributor at Salon.com and a winner of the Sydney Hillman Prize for opinion and analysis journalism. Let's see if we can get some of that prized opinion now. Oh, Heather, long time no chat with. Welcome back to the broadcast. With my apologies for the long delay in having you back because it has been, I guess, a just a kind of a slow news summer with not much to talk about. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, <sighs> I, I just I've had nothing to say whatsoever. I know. So, I know. You know, I know. No, no great loss. But thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. Nonetheless, we uh, have much to catch up on somehow, uh, and I got a lot to ask you about. In truth, so we'll see how much we can get to here. But uh, since you know, as mentioned, uh, we both live here in California. You and I. I think Santa Monica is still a part of California. So <laughs> I, I want to make sure that we give plenty of time here to this ridiculous recall election which ends on September 14 but for which all registered voters in the state should have by now received vote by mail ballots with two questions on them one should Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom be removed from office and two if he is removed as per question one who should re uh, who should replace him immediately in office and then voters are given some 46 candidates to choose from, including the Republican frontrunner, the man who's considered to be the Republican frontrunner, the very Trumpy right wing talk show radio talk show host, Larry Elder, who thinks things like climate change is a myth and that women aren't as smart as men and who believes the minimum wage should be zero dollars. 
and who wants to end all mask and vaccine mandates in California. So that's just to set the stage, Heather. You charge that it is absurd that Newsom is being recalled in the first place. I, of course, have made that same point recently, uh, though I haven't gone into great detail as to why I think it's so ridiculous. So let me ask you. Why is the recall election absurd, as you uh, put it? I mean, after all, the means for this is written into the state constitution. The requisite number of signatures were gathered to uh, to hold this special election. Shouldn't it be up to the people of California if they wish to change governors via this constitutional process? Well, <laughs> there are a number of reasons why it's absurd. The first being that this, this provision in the state constitution is absurd, okay? I mean, this, this was, was passed back in 1911 mm -hmm. with a bunch of progressive reforms, which, you know, led to the, much of the, uh, the propositions that we see on the ballot all mm -hmm. the time. I mean, this, this, this is a, um, you know, these were reforms that were done a long time ago, over a century ago. And, in, and progressive to give uh, control to the people, just right. as you say. That was the that was the idea, uh -huh. but you know the way that this particular one is structured, and the way actually all the propositions now nowadays I shouldn't say all of them, but mm -hmm. many of them mm -hmm. uh, end up b because of the way the state is. It's it's huge. It mm -hmm. has a very weird kind of political culture that's very dependent on money and TV, and it ends up being a vehicle for wealthy interests mm. to push their uh, agenda through this process and, and, you know, mislead the people into mm -hmm. supporting it. This particular one, though, I mean, it, when it was put in place, I, I mean, there was some logic to it. You can understand, you know, recalling some governor that's, you know, terribly corrupt or, mm -hmm. you know, doing something criminal. Um, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, but it's been tried over and over and over again. I mean, every governor since 1960 has had someone trying to recall them. <laughs> But it never has worked. Up until 2003 was the first time that it worked. And that coincides with the polarization of our politics as well, right? I mean, we are, we're seeing that. Now, 2003 had Arnold Schwarzenegger on the ballot. He was, a, you know, obviously an international movie star, mm -hmm. name recognition beyond name recognition. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people who were not involved in politics who got excited about the idea of voting for Arnold, right? So they came out, and, and of course, we know that that ended up being successful. Mm -hmm. And the political situation at the time was, you know, California's in the doldrums. There was an energy crisis going on. You remember all the Enron stuff and Aunt Millie a and everything? Fake Enron, a fake, fake energy crisis that right. was, was put a, in place right. by Enron. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yes. And, and, of course, you know, I mean, everything, it was, a, it was kind of a depressing time. And Gray Davis, who was the governor at the time, he really did live up to his name. Yes. He, you know, he was... You know, a, basically a faceless personality, less politician, which, mm -hmm. you know, one, it's amazing that he got into the seat in the first place. About I mean, it wasn't as gray as anyone could be. Yeah, exactly. And along comes the Terminator, right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, a very unique set of circumstances uh -huh. that led to the success of that recall. Um, but the, the fact is, is that this is, you know, normally I think that the, this has not ever been a successful process. Until now, with the polarization and the fact that we had the pandemic, a judge extended the, um, uh, you know, uh, the ability for the, the pro-recall people to collect signatures by mm -hmm. three months, which seems kind of unfair. Yep. Um, but it was, you know, a pandemic decision. And uh, there were probably a lot more 
anti-mask, anti-mitigation, pro-Trump people running around in public mm-hmm. at the time yeah. that the petitions were out there, right? Because I don't remember seeing one, but I wasn't just barely leaving my house at the time. You right. know, we were not. So, so they had an advantage, and they ended up getting enough signatures to do it. It is absurd that we have this because the truth is we have elections every four years. Gavin Newsom's going to be on the ballot in a year. The state is going to have to spend two hundred and seventy some thousand dollars, two million dollars, two hundred seventy million dollars, yeah, to do this election. That's an that is an obscene waste of money, considering that we have just one o- year. To only go. only if you're a conservative who doesn't believe in spending wastefully spending right, government right, money, right. of course, of course, right. small government all the yes. way. We don't want it. We don't we don't want to do that. Yes. How wasteful. Oh, we'll get there. Um, don't worry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And in any case, the, the you know the the fact is is that is that this is done and it is being done uh, by a group of people who and they're even saying this out loud. Doesn't matter who gets in. We just need to prove that we can do this. We need to get Newsom out, and this is the only way that California that California Republicans can see to win a statewide election yeah. because they are in such a small minority. I mean, California is the beating heart of blue America. There, yeah. it is as. As liberal as it gets, as, as demo, I shouldn't say liberal, I, it has a mixture of moderates right. and centrists and liberals, but it is de- a democratic yeah. state all the way down. And, you know, that seems fair to me. I mean, Texas is a Republican state all the way down. You know, I mean, it just seems like the, the Democrats should be able to have a few states like that, too. <laughs> and California is one mm-hmm. of them. And Republicans know that they cannot win with a legitimate election. That is very, very unlikely to happen, you know, barring some kind of mm-hmm. catastrophe or some unusual circumstance. So, you know, this is this is yet another example of Republicans using, you know, legal means to subvert democracy. It is. Which is essentially what is happening here. And the absurdity of this law, getting to the heart of the matter, is that it allows for Gavin Newsom, the governor, or any incumbent governor, to get, say, 49.9% of the vote. And then people go to the next part of the ballot, and they vote for, you know, there's 46 people on that ballot, right? Is Mm -hmm. it 46, 47, something like that? 46, yeah. And... The person who gets the most votes out of that crowded group of gadflies and weirdos could win, meaning that, you know, Larry Elder, say, who's now considered the front runner, as shocking as that is, could get 15% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And he could be the governor while, you know, Gavin Newsom gets 49.9. That is an undemocratic outcome. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is why I say that it is absurd. Um, and, um, you know, it's particularly absurd since Gavin Newsom. At this moment, I mean, the last CBS poll had him at 57% approval mm-hmm. and 60% approval on the on the COVID response. I mean, in in our polarized world, that's basically you know support by acclamation. <laughs> you and, know, I mean, this is yeah, and yet uh, the governor could get almost 50% uh, of the vote on the ballot and be yet be replaced by someone who gets 15% on exactly. the very same ballot. Something has gone in ter- uh, terribly wrong with that. Uh, and, and by the way, that was a, a progressive initiative, the, yep. uh, the recall from 100 years ago. Governor Hiram Johnson, who was a Republican in 1911 when he was elected as governor, who uh, then uh, switched to the progressive party, ran as the vice president, uh, vice presidential candidate with uh, Teddy Roosevelt when he ran as a progressive. 
But, uh, yeah, it does seem to have gone terribly wrong. That said, Heather, and uh, I, and I you know, believe that everyone should vote no on that first question for those reasons we discussed and many others. But it seems to me also that this is a failing of the Democrats in the state. I mean, we saw what happened 20 years ago with Gray Davis and Schwarzenegger. Dems have had almost 20 years since then to reform this process. I don't know of any such reform attempts that have happened, you know, even the uh, or that have they've tried to happen, even the most simple one, which would seem to be that if you recall the governor, he or she should be simply replaced by the lieutenant governor. We have right. one of those here that would seem to, you know, remove pretty much all of the sheer partisan scheming behind these GOP recalls, would it not? Absolutely, and that makes perfect sense, right? If if something, all that does is just kind of you know play off of the the reality that we have a lieutenant governor in case something happens to the governor, right? Mm-hmm. If he has to resign, I mean, we just saw that happen in New York, right? Mm-hmm. The governor resigns, the lieutenant governor steps up. If you really need feel the need to recall a governor, that's what a lieutenant governor is for. That's why you have it. No. So, you know, the, the, of course that's true. And you're absolutely right about the Democrats. Look, the Democrats have been running, you know, they're, they're, Schwarzenegger was governor, what, until 2008, I guess? Something yeah. like that, yeah. I think so. And, you know, but he, he basically operated as a centrist and almost a moderate Democrat in many ways. He was not a hardcore right-wing Republican. And ever since 2008, and that's been a while now, the, the state has been overwhelmingly <laughs> run by, by the Democrats, mm-hmm. you know, and... So, you know, the the idea that they did not take the opportunity to reform the law, to look ahead and recognize what we're dealing with with the Republican Party, and of course, this applies across the board to national Democrats as well. It's not just the Californians who have taken, uh, you know, for reasons that remain inexplicable to me, have failed to understand the the political culture that we're dealing with mm-hmm. now and, yeah. and and failing to grasp just how you know important it is that they look ahead and take steps to protect democracy this is not the first time a you of all people with your long history of looking at at the voting mm-hmm. um, system in this country understand that this is this has been going on for a long time. I mean, yes, oh, yeah. it goes all the way back to Reconstruction, but just in recent years, there has been a warp speed movement on the right to, you know, basically, you know, ter- make our democracy dysfunctional, using in many cases, le- in most cases, legal means to do it. I mean, that they, they have not, you know, this is this is the the the, the strategy. Yeah, uh, well, I I think it's clear that Democrats still do not seem to understand fully what they are up against in the Republican Party. Or if if they do, they don't seem to have the, the either the courage or, I don't know, the knowledge to uh, actually take the measures uh, to meet the moment, it seems to me. And, and I'm not entirely sure why, you know, but I, I think they need to be called out for that because this is going to happen over and over and over again. You know, we're just seeing they just pass this uh, anti-voting measure down in Texas uh, because a few Democrats, after courageously walking out for a month or so, decided to go back for reasons I don't know and, you know, handed the Republicans a quorum down there to basically gut democracy 
in Texas. And though you said it's a, a red state, it's kind of on the precipice from becoming be. a, a blue state, at least a purple state. But Republicans, they understand the threat of that. They're taking action. Democrats don't seem to do so, anything similar, really. Uh, Heather, do you understand Governor Newsom and the, the state Democratic, uh, Democratic Party's, what I heard uh, Newsom call it a no-and-go strategy? Vote no on the first ballot question on the recall as to whether he should uh, be removed from office, but leave the second question on who should replace him uh, if he loses on the first, leave that one blank. That seems wildly irresponsible to me. I don't really understand that as a political strategy at all. Do you understand it? I do. Okay, good. Tell <laughs> and me. I will, I will, Thank I will you. take the, the other side of that argument. Yes, go ahead. In 2003, that was exactly what they did. They said, you know, they said, vote no on the recall, vote yes on Bustamante. He was the lieutenant governor at the time, mm-hmm. right? Right. Made perfect sense. Vote yes. for the lieutenant governor. I mean, you shouldn't have to, but, you know, it makes sense. You just put that guy in. Um, he lost. And um, it was confusing to people. People didn't really understand the no versus yes. Um, and it the, the lesson that they learned was, look, just don't even give Democrats mm. the option. Tell them there is no option. You keep your governor now. And then, at you know, next November, we'll have an election. If you don't like him, maybe somebody will primary him. I don't know. You know, whatever. But I, I think that that is the reason for it is because it was a, you know, a, a big loser the last time. And there, I think the after-action uh, analysis that they did was that that was very confusing to people. I they did it. not understand how that that whole thing worked because the system itself is completely confusing. Yes, it it's is. Ridiculous. But I think that's a wildly dangerous position to take. Well, As a matter of fact, who on the ballot yeah. would you think would be the right person to replace? Ke- who would well, you vote I, for? Well, I, you know, I don't want to. Uh, I don't talk about who I vote for or want to endorse anyone in particular. I will say that Ernie Canning uh, wrote an article that went through all of the non-Republican candidates on the ballot and came out with a guy, uh, actually a Green Party candidate, as the best idea for progressives, a man uh, by the name of uh, Dan K- uh, uh, Kapilovitz. And and he's a, and Ernie Canning is a longtime progressive Democrat. But looking at the options, he felt that was the best option in the worst-case scenario that uh, uh, Gavin Newsom actually loses on question one. At the same time, there's this guy, Kevin Paffrath, who is a uh, supposedly a Democrat. He's a 29-year-old real estate m- mogul and YouTube star. Uh, in one recent poll, Paffrath was actually leading Larry Elder and everyone else by a few points. Now, he's kind of a centrist uh, de- or a conservative Democrat, I would say. Doesn't He's 29 years old, doesn't seem to know a lot. He wants the National Guard to round up all the homeless people in 60 days. Oh Not a good choice, which is why Canning liked uh, uh, the, the other candidate, the Green candidate, Kaplovitz. But I, there are other options, and it seems like seeding the race to Larry Elder is wildly ill-considered. Just, well, I, I think that that they. I think that there is. There's another a- aspect of this as well, yeah. which is that there's an election coming up next year, mm-hmm. and I think that worst case scenario of get having, you know, having having Larry Elder be in there for this short period of time would be better than having some, you know, gadfly Democrat that uh, nobody has heard of do it. And I do. And I also think that they figure that it's highly unlikely 
that enough Democrats would actually even know who these people are. They are not well-known names. It's not like there's... If mm-hmm. they had a big-name Democrat yeah. who would have jumped into the ring, I think it would have made more sense. But they discouraged sure big-name Democrats and, and, from jumping and, in. And in my view, for good reason. I mean, I think that, you know, the only person they could have done it, I think, that would have made sense would have been the lieutenant governor again. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that they were afraid that that just would not... You know that that name, even that name, wouldn't have wouldn't have worked. I mean, let's just face facts. This is a terrible, terrible system, and I think a lot of people have have sort of recognized, um, you know, too late mm-hmm. that um, you know this is a perfect vehicle for the right wing to, you know, to take out a major yeah. Democrat. Imagine what happens if Gavin Newsom, you know. Mm-hmm pretty popular governor of California, um, and Andrew Cuomo, who, for completely other reasons, mm-hmm. just resigned, and, you know, rightly so, in my view, but the two, you know, biggest blue state governors go down yep. in the midst of the pandemic, both mm-hmm. of whom did, certainly Gavin, mm-hmm. uh, call him Gavin, mm-hmm. like he's my friend or something, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> Governor Newsom. Um, we know he's your friend. Of, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, we're very, we're we're well, like this. I yeah. mean, we really are very close. Yeah, I did meet him once, so yeah. I guess that's that's good enough. I heard you um, used to date, but you know, maybe that's just oh a rumor. God. Scandalous. Yeah, me and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yes. Uh, that's a whole other story. Yes. I don't His former understand. wife, right winger Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is now dating Don Jr. Donald, uh, Donald Trump, Trump Jr. yeah, which yeah. is all but insane. I but anyway, I sidetracked you. Happened. Yes, yeah. yes. Go ahead. Um, but, but in any case, he's done a, a pretty good job on 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 COVID. He really mm-hmm. has. Yeah. And you know, Cuomo, he was the big leader of the country during the first months of of the pandemic. And here you, you know, you see, and meanwhile, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are, you know, basically consigning half of their population to death with yep. their, with their, um, you know, edicts about not wearing masks and refusing to do any kind of mitigation, even though there's a huge surge in their states. Those guys end up becoming national heroes, and Gavin Newsom and, and Andrew Cuomo end up being, you know, the goats in all this. I mean, that's a horrifying kind of outcome here completely wrong and it's because again the democrats have not recognized the the political world that they're living in Let and you know they 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 simply are you know i think i think newsom was way too complacent about this i think that was a big mistake i in fact and i was too to be perfectly honest i wrote a piece mm. last spring kind of going hey come on this is california you know hey we're not going to fall for that, you know. That's not going to happen. We're yeah. in the blue state. Uh-huh. We, you know, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And now it turns out that the enthusiasm gap, which you know, of course, I'm, I'm knowledgeable enough to understand, is a big, big deal in these weird off-year elections. Uh, it's pretty big. The Republicans are real excited about voting for Larry Elder or some other freak mm-hmm. they brought on the ballot, and they don't even care who it is. Um, and uh, the Democrats are saying, yeah, you know, whatever. Well, I let mean, me let me ask you two uh, points on this uh, before we move on to some other topics here, Heather Digby Parton. Uh, yeah, uh, what would you tell those who, you know, say, oh, California is so blue now, they, you know, they would never vote to replace a popular Democratic governor with a far-right Republican right-winger? Because I suspect there's a lot of people who feel that way even today. What would you say to them? 
I would say wake up because we are having, uh, you know, and this is happening nationally. It's happening in blue states and red states and everywhere else, which is an absolute assault on democracy that's coming from the right. And if you don't understand that that can actually, you know, happen to you too, you're being very, very foolish. You know, and if you look at the consequences of this, the consequences for the country much less California. Which is my second question. Yeah, why you said this is uh, that the U.S. will be in trouble here if Democrats fail to get the to get the vote out in California. Why? Why does this affect the entire country? Two things. The first one is, you know, sort of a broad kind of, you know, philosophical sort of sort of thing, which Mm -hmm. is that it validates the idea for Republicans that this is the way to go. This would be an absolute disaster for anybody trying to, you know, make the argument that, um, you know, we, we, we can be, that, that it's, that, you know, our democracy has, has strength. I mean, here you have a popular Democratic governor. The Republicans manipulated, a, you know, an archaic old, um, you know, system to put in somebody potentially with something like, as we said before, 10 or 15 percent, you know, percent of the vote, mm-hmm. um, it would validate for Republicans across the country. It w- I think it would excite them, it would motivate them, and I think that is a very bad thing. The second is a much more prosaic concern, and that is that we have an 88-year-old senator. Yep. And, uh, it, it, you know, God forbid anything happens to her, but if it did, while Larry Elder is sitting there placeholding, right, yep. for, that, for this year, yep. it, it would be re- the, that seat would be replaced by a Republican, and it would be uh, Mitch McConnell would be, you know, laughing and laughing and laughing at the idea that Biden's agenda was completely derailed by the lazy people in California who didn't come out to vote. Because they would take governor. the majority back. The Republicans exactly. would once again be in the majority. Yes, what happens here in California very much right now during this recall election affects the entire nation. Let's take a quick break here with uh, Heather Digby-Parton. Uh, we'll come back to talk about a few more uh, quick things, hopefully. Oh, mask mandates, big... Uh, g- <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Mass mandates, Afghanistan, Trump accountability, and whatever we can fit into our closing few minutes. Heather Digby-Parton, the great blogger at Hullabaloo and, of course, at Salon, will stay with us for a few more minutes. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with our good friend Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com and, of course, of the uh, great Hullabaloo blog. Uh, Heather, you wrote uh, earlier in the week about uh, something that I've been railing about for years, years, uh, frankly, but most acutely of late regarding these bans on mask mandates that we're seeing from these far-right authoritarian governors. 
like Greg Abbott in Texas, Florida's uh, Rick DeSantis, about five or six others. And by the way, Rick DeSantis, I'm sorry, Rick DeSantis, Ron DeSantis had a loss in court on Friday um, where the judge said, no, school districts can decide if they want to have mask mandates or not, that this uh, law that DeSantis passed to prevent them from doing so was actually unlawful or unconstitutional. Now, I don't call these governors like Abbott and DeSantis conservative because they are not and they never have been. Their ban on local government decisions about things like ma- such you know mask mandates, small government, local government, school districts, the smallest of governments of them all really, who know their constituents best overriding uh, what Those, uh, you know, local governments say that's the opposite of what Republicans themselves have defined as conservatism. And I've been calling on both media and Democrats for years to stop doing them the favor of calling these people conservatives. Doesn't this once again prove that these guys are authoritarian, right wing, Republican, whatever you want to call them, but they are anything but conservative? Oh, absolutely. And by their own definition of what conservative was for years. Do you remember? I mean, they had, remember Ronald Reagan used to call it the three-legged stool, right? It was family values, national mm-hmm. security, and mm-hmm. small government. Yep. That was, the, that, that was what they supposedly believed in. And, you know, none of that actually has turned out to be true. None of it. I remember writing in, in 2016 uh, for Salon about, you know, w- what Donald Trump revealed um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people like us, we we knew this because we could see the hypocrisy, but they kept up appearances, right? They were sort of pretending, at least, to mm-hmm. believe in these things. Um, by 2016, all you know, the, the facade was gone, the mask was off, so to speak. So to speak. And they, they, they just had turned into to sort of incoherent radicals, a kind of a, uh, you know, in fact, I think that they're only... Real, really consistent belief at this point is that they must defeat the other side. Yes. There's really nothing more, whatever it takes, by any means necessary. And that was obvious by 2016. Of course, to folks like you and me who have been right and talking about so much of this for so long... And on that point, we'll get to Afghanistan Afghanistan in a second. But, you know, it became obvious to everyone, one would think, by 2016 and certainly in the years since. And and yet I see a media still regarding them as such, the conservatives in the Republican Party and even Democrats themselves. And I hate to I feel like we're doing a lot of hippie punching here today in, in beating up on Democrats. But. These are things that make a difference. Uh, and there are things, by the way, that Republicans do understand. They know how to uh, how to politic. There's a reason they call themselves conservatives, even though they are not, whereas Democrats don't seem to get that, so they do them the courtesy of calling them conservatives. It drives well, I, me nuts. Exactly. And you know, conservative in, in the just sort of the, the sort of colloquial, way with that we think of it forgetting the three-legged stool or any kind of ideology people think you know these are people who people sort of assume that when you use the word conservative you're talking about someone who is kind of 
you know, thoughtful, straight arrow, not yes. really wanting to do anything too abrupt or anything too radical, and just keeping it, keeping a status quo in mm-hmm. a way that you know sort of gives you time to figure out what to do. You know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know that, that maybe a little father's knows best in there. That's right? why you it's know, a positive. It's a you know a, a, a nice brand. It's a positive right. brand, it's and a, you it, do and them a favor by calling it that. Calling exactly, that. and you know people think well maybe we need some of that. You know there's we. Right. we progressives they mm-hmm. want to change everything maybe we need a countervailing force right. that just wants to you know sort of take our time and you know and look at these things with with some thoughtfulness well that is anything but what they are yes. they are radicals yes. they are the radicals yes. they are the radicals and, yes. the, and the left are the ones who are just sort of you know at best they're they're sort of saying well maybe we need to do some big things because you know millions of people are suffering and dying you know that's their radicalism the other side it is you know you can see it all the way to the supreme court there were two cases last week Mm -hmm. in the uh in the what they call the shadow docket where they were just doing the supreme court majority that donald trump put in Mm -hmm. that mitch mcconnell put in excuse me donald trump was you know Mm -hmm. they, they put the pen in his hand and he signed it um, they, uh, you know, they they are are you know ruling in exactly the way we would have expected, and it is some radical stuff. They, they are. Doing, and I think we can expect a lot more of that coming, you know, in the future. Yes, they are legislating from the bench. They are not constitutionalists. They are not, uh, you know, reading uh, the, the the plain language of the Constitution, which, for example, the 15th Amendment, which, uh, you know, bars uh, uh, the infringement of the vote against uh, on account of race, says very clearly, the Congress shall have the power to enforce this amendment. And yet... The Supreme Court keeps gutting the Voting Rights Act, which was the Congress's version of enforcing this amendment. It's right there. It's the plain text meaning of the Constitution. They ignore that. So, yes, they don't believe in uh, precedent. They're not conservative. They're not constitutional uh, uh, originalists. They don't believe in uh, smaller government because they keep uh, banning small government from making their own decisions about masks. They don't care about family values. Because that would lead, you know, folks to wear masks, to keep families from dying, or Christian values to help the least among us, or even law and order, the idea of backing the blue. That's out the window because these same people attacked police officers on January 6th, and they have shown zero remorse for any of them, uh, uh, for any of that. (sighs) Sorry for that rant, but it just drives me uh, (laughs) nuts. I don't understand, again, why Democrats, I understand the media because they want to be polite to everyone, but why the hell are Democrats falling for it? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either, and yet it, it continues, and it's been continuing for a long time. I mean, that conservative definition that I think that people had it's long gone now. I mean, this isn't something that just happened yesterday. It's been going on for decades, and, you know, especially in the last two decades. And the idea that it, we're still allowing that to happen, where people like, you know, Rand Paul or Ted Cruz or, you know, people like that are considered conservatives. That's absurd. <laughs> it's yes, completely ridiculous. It is. They're also uh, wrong time and time. Uh, about absolutely everything, unlike you, Heather Par- Heather Digby Parton, we, uh, <laughs> which brings us to Afghanistan. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this in truth because, while well, I don't have any. We're coming up at the end of the hour, but also because things are changing so quickly in this yeah. story, and there's more than enough 
I think, uh, coverage in the national media, even if much of it, at least in my opinion, is absolutely stupid and ridiculous and will prove to be absolutely meaningless in a week or uh, a month or much less a year from now. But your very quick take on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, this uh, you know, horrific terror attack at the Kabul airport uh, in which at least 13 U.S. service members were killed, more than 100 Afghans. But most specifically, on the media's coverage and the hand-wringing we have seen over the past week or two as uh, Joe Biden's uh, deadline for pulling out is, is, you know, just days away after a 20-year war that I think we really should have never been in at all. Well, I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, you and I were talking a bit for a few minutes before we went on the air Mm -hmm. about the idea that time seems to have a strange, you know, sort of... (laughs) sort of feeling these days, and mm-hmm. it seems like a couple months ago was actually a couple of years ago. Well, the way the media is talking uh, in, in the last, what, week and a half, mm-hmm. I guess, um, is I feel as if I woke up and suddenly it's, you know, t- 2001 again. Yeah. Um, and, and that would be great <laughs> for me. I'd, I'd really like to be 20 years younger. <laughs> but uh, the fact is, is that is that the idea that they snapped back almost immediately, without any thought, without any consideration, into doing this kind of no-context, you know, kind of rah-rah, flag-waving, oh-my-God, you know, kind of febrile coverage of what was going on, especially considering the fact, I mean, you know, yes, the 20 years, they they kind of forgot about Afghanistan through most of the last 20 years. But even more importantly, they forgot, they didn't bother to cover any of this over the last two years. Mm -hmm. When the withdrawal was on the table, when the deal was being made, when the... the, By Donald Trump, to be clear. By Donald Trump. Yeah. Absolutely. Or what, you know, or talking about what could we expect with the withdrawal? What was going to, what was likely to happen? Had they done that, had the American people been prepared, I think they would have realized, and it, it's awful and it's horrible, and I'm absolutely, I'm heartsick for, for mm-hmm. the Afghan people. I'm heartsick for the families of those Marines who were killed last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this was predictable. I mean, there is no way to get out of a war that's going to be clean and efficient. And if it had been, this is the counterfactual that keeps coming into my head, if it had been clean and efficient and we left and the Afghan army stood up and they held the Taliban off until the Americans got all their people out and all their friends out and all their soldiers out, and then what would have happened then? It would have been a bloody civil war for the Afghan people between the Afghan government and its army and the Taliban. So, you know, for all of our hand-wringing about the horrors that are, you know, the, the Afghans are undergoing right now, mm-hmm. we are basically saying that we wish that we could have just left cleanly so they could have that bloody aftermath without us being involved. It makes no sense, and it's coming from people who have been wrong for 20 years on every... Last week I saw Meet the Press, they said, next, Panetta and Bolton. Oh, (laughs) brother. You know, Petraeus, Negroponte... All of them. I don't ever want to hear from those people again. And and the 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 newer crowd. What's it? Nikki Haley, who was uh, you know God. just outraged that Joe Biden would deal with the Taliban in any way, even though the president that she worked for, Donald Trump, actually dealt with the Taliban and made this agreement in the first place. And just to be clear, there's reasons to criticize the way this pullout has happened in various ways and i'm glad that there is uh, that there are media out there doing that but this notion that oh it's either the end of the 
the Biden presidency. What a disaster or that we should have never pulled out at all. We should stay in there for another 20 years is kind of appalling. Lastly, uh, Heather, you know, we've been discussing accountability for Donald Trump of late. We always do. Uh, And my hopes that the media, frankly, and everyone else will stop referring to You know, Trump's attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election and question the election results, claim there was fraud. We now know that, you know, what Donald Trump was doing as president of the United States was trying to steal the 2020 election. He tried, but he failed to steal the 2020 election. Everything else, the the. You know, the the, the January 6th attack, the post-election phony audits, the claims of fraud, the use of the DOJ to change, to try and, you know, change results in states. That was all part of an attempt to steal the election. So another point where I'm calling on media to start calling it for what it is and Democrats to start calling it for what it is. A, do you think we can start calling it out as such uh, finally? And uh, B, you say that Donald Trump now has very good reason to be concerned, you write at Salon this week, uh, about the U.S. House Select Committee. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was very pleased to see this, the House Committee, you know, they, they seem to be suddenly lurching into action, thank God, because <laughs> it's taken them a while. Mm-hmm. But apparently I think that they've been doing some work behind the scenes because they put together requests for documents from just from everybody, everybody. including Ivanka mm-hmm. and Don Jr. Oh, really? And Chris Christie. Nice. And, I mean, the, the, the list of people goes on and on and on, including all the usual suspects. And um, whether or not they will get those all those documents, I don't know, but I think it was super smart of them to just say, you know, you take, you know, don't take us seriously at your peril, because we are looking at the whole thing. And they were asking for documents going all the way back to April. And Benny Thompson, who is mm-hmm. the chairman of the committee, uh, was on Rachel Maddow, and she asked him about that. You know, why are you looking way back then? You know, because I think everybody thought it would sort of just be around the election and mm-hmm. whatever. And he's, do you have information? He said, yes, we do. I'm not at liberty to say what that is, so we're looking for documentary evidence. Mm-hmm. I kind of my, you know, my, I know what Trump was saying publicly, but I think they have some reason to believe there was things going on privately to, as you say, steal the election, yes. which yeah. is, of course, what they were planning to do. Yes. And, you know, I mean, Trump was laying the groundwork for that the entire time, and I feel as if the, the, the January 6th committee understands this. And they are looking at it from a complete, from a big global kind of kind of look, including you know, why did Trump stick those weird henchmen of his into the Pentagon mm-hmm. and into the into the CIA at the you know in the last days and all that? Because what you're seeing, I think, and what they are going seeming to be putting together is the case that Donald Trump was planning to steal the election, and that he was using the power of the presidency to do it. It wasn't just rhetorical. It wasn't just him out there, you know, shooting his mouth off. This was him actually putting, you know, various, you know, levers of government into place to try and do that. So I think he should be worried. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, he's, we know that he tends to get away with everything, but at some point or another... I, you know, I don't even care about that anymore. I just want—I just want somebody to put the narrative together of what actually happened there with that election because it is astonishing and it is ugly and it is very, very dangerous, regardless of Donald Trump. Yep. Because the lessons learned by the Republicans on this, we're already seeing it happen in 
places like California, yep. in Georgia, Arizona, and elsewhere. So this is this is serious stuff, and I really hope they do you know fulfill their their mission there and at least get the get the story together of what actually happened. Yeah, and unless we start calling it out for what it is, uh, an attempt to steal the election, it's going to continue happening. It may continue anyway. Then the the big question, of course, is whether whatever the U.S. House Select Committee does come up with does uh, such a charge, you know, if they do determine, yes, he tried to steal the election, does that translate into action by the Department of Justice, you know, actual criminal accountability? Yeah. That's, I guess, the big question we're all uh, waiting to Well, find yeah, out. especially since they already have a full case just sitting there, the second half of the Mueller report, mm-hmm. that it's there. The whole case is there that Donald Trump obstructed justice. We'll get there. I'm confident. We (laughs) will get there. We have to stay confident and optimistic. Heather Digby-Parton, you can find her work at Salon.com, of course. Also at the Hullabaloo blog, which is digbysblog.net. And you can find her on the Twitters at digby 56 I know I always promise it, but uh, I'll really try to keep it this time. Let's not make it so long until we talk again. Absolutely. Anytime. Love it. Thank you, Heather. Thanks. Yeah, it's going to be a while until we talk to her. (laughs) Anyway, I hope not, too. Uh, We have to get out, uh, Desi Doyen. And I should say, I should note here, uh, we're going to be gone for a bit. Uh, Don't worry. We will have a delicious cocktail of uh, Bradcast Best Ofs (laughs) and uh, some fresh shows from Nicole Sandler coming up over the next week or so. We'll see you after the holiday. I'm sure there will be no big news stories (laughs) uh, until we return. I want to remind folks here in California, if you got your vote-by-mail ballot, don't forget to fill it out in the California recall and then deliver it in person to a drop box or a voting center or something like that. Uh, Dropping it in the mail is never a good idea. But, you know, absolutely do that if that is the only option available to you. It's really important. Elections matter. Voting matters. Make your voice be heard. Voting is better than not voting. Yeah. Well said. All right, we have to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Of course, our thanks to those of you who help us stay on the air at all by hitting that donate button at bradblog or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. See you.